Welcome to the Weird Learning Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Tracy Dix and Dr. Alex Patel. Today's episode, Tips to Fend Off FOMO During Freshers' Week. Hello everyone, this is Tracy Dix on the Weird Learning Podcast with my good friend, Alex Patel. Hi, thanks for joining us today. It's been a little while since our last episode, so we're really happy to be back. Our episode today is inspired by a question that I saw on social media recently regarding all the students who are starting university very soon. Lots of students settling in at the moment, and as usual, there are plenty of events on during Freshers' Week to help you meet people and make friends. But what if going out and clubbing isn't your thing? Should you feel under pressure to kind of go to every single event during Freshers' Week? or are there other options? That's what we'll be exploring today. So Alex, do you remember what Freshers' Week was like for you? Right, so I was at Manchester University, and bearing in mind I grew up in a very small village called Acton Trussell, which is near Stafford, so shout out to anyone from Stafford. And moving to a big city like Manchester was pretty exciting. So when I arrived for Freshers' Week, um, obviously went to the halls of residence, found my flat, met my flatmates there. And as soon as we'd done that, we were pretty much invited to the campus and there were so many things going on. You know, we could walk around a hall, find out about different student societies. There were also lots of flyers for events. Mm -hmm. So I remember picking up ones again for student societies. Um, There was one for Taekwondo, which I did eventually join, but huge numbers of clubbing type events. One of the popular ones, which I quite liked, was something called Club Trop. Oh, Club Trop. Club Tropicano. (laughs) (laughs) So that was very much 80s music. Um, It wasn't a great nightclub. It was was a big shed, basically. But lots of people, lots of cheesy music. It It was a great time. I think the idea is that a lot of the events are kind of put on to cater to all types of tastes. And I guess one of the problems with that is when you try to please everyone, you kind of end up being a little bit meh to specific people. Would you say that? Mm. When you try to please everyone, you end up kind of pleasing no one, really. And everyone's sort of compromising and going, well, I don't really like cheesy music, but I'll go because everyone else is going. It can be a little bit like that in the first few weeks of term while everyone's finding their feet. But You know, if you think about it, if you don't like clubbing or drinking, and, you know, drinking is definitely not for everyone, then going to those events are probably going to either attract people who don't like the same things as you, you know, if they enjoy clubbing, or people who aren't really being themselves. Although I would say that it's, you know, I think everyone does have a filter when they first go to university, and over time it might take a while for people to be more themselves or kind of find out what they like. And what they don't like, you know, through the process of trying all the different opportunities that are on offer. Yeah, it's a great time to kind of try and work out who you are, really. Sadly, I did not take this opportunity. I pretended to be somebody I wasn't. (laughs) It sounds a bit strange, but it's true. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. So when I first started at university, I remember a lot of the events were very sort of clubbing focused, or at least the ones that were on my radar you know, and I remember like my flatmates and, you know, other, another flat that we kind of made friends with were all very enthusiastic about that sort of thing. It was quite alien to me. Growing up, I wasn't like really into clubbing or anything like that. I was very into my hobbies, you know, which we've covered in previous episodes. 
But I did start university with a friend from school who was very extroverted. And in some ways, that was a really good thing because, you know, I kind of, we just kept each other company at first and went out and met people. But on hindsight, sometimes, actually, no, a lot of those people I'm still kind of vaguely in touch with now, mostly through Facebook, I'd say. But we've kind of met since. But I do remember that, you know, it's very similar to Alex's experience. A lot of information is thrown at you in the first couple of weeks. Like during Freshers' Fair, you're given like a goodie bag full of flyers Mm. about... Pens, freebies. Pens, freebies about the library, about the career service, about the student welfare service, about the chaplaincy, about the SU... And mm-hmm. all the, the student union, yep. yeah, the yep. student union, and all the services that the student union offers. The uh, study skills center, which might be known um, as something different at your university, and dominoes. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, at the university we work at, there's a dominoes just down the road, and <laughs> oh, I they hand out lots of flyers and freebies for that. Well, actually, I recall at the last Freshers' Fair that we checked out, they were handing out free pizzas as Mm. well. And at another university that I used to work at, at the end of every club night, there would be Domino's staff kind of waiting outside the exits with their kind of personal-sized pizzas to kind of sell as students were leaving the uh, the student union. Yeah, so it's well worth going um, to any Freshers' Fairs or events at the beginning of term because there are a lot of deals and things you can get hold of yeah and you know there are some free lunches to be had as well I think Costa was also around at the last one that we went to you know free pastries as a taster so you remember who they are the next time you take your Tupperware with you you can load up (laughs) (laughs) take your Tupperware with you that is a good tip actually (laughs) what was the other one you were saying earlier Make sure you have a recycled bin close by. Yes, yes. Sadly, a huge amount of money is spent on creating leaflets and flyers, and it's a lot of waste. Quite often, it just gets dumped on the floor. You know, somebody will take a leaflet and then drop it. So if you are environmentally minded, and we all should be nowadays, bearing Mm -hmm. in mind how awful the climate changes, then you might want to think about taking a bag where you can put these so you can take it home and recycle them. Yeah. Or, you know, it'll be a very good time to start familiarising yourself with the campus recycle bins. Mm. There should be many stations dotted around. It's certainly a time when, you know, all the uh, various services that are around, all the kind of eating places, all the clubs and societies are looking to make you aware of their presence and, you know, that they're available so that, you know, at the time when you might need their service, you will think of them and you'll kind of get in touch. So you get pens with all their website URLs on them. You'll get like business cards and all sorts of things. And it can feel very overwhelming. So let's compare the process of settling in to, you know, when you need to, for example, use a reference book or a website when you're first researching a topic. So, for example, you're kind of given a topic to work on for an assignment. You know, since we're since we're here to coach you with your assignments, that's <laughs> the example that we will Straight take. Straight in there with 
essay tips. Straight in there with essay tips, you know, settling in tips and essay tips. So you are tasked with, you know, discussing a topic, for example, and how would you first approach it? So you might go to a reference book, or these days, most of us would probably turn to a website and just search something on Google. So if you need a definition, for example, it will pull up like several definitions from a variety of online dictionaries. You don't read everything that's available to you. You won't kind of go through all the pages of search results because that's too overwhelming. Most of us would just dip in to find what we need. So we'd look for like the description that kind of resonates with us or feels relevant to the topic, something that we feel that we can understand. And then, you know, we would apply that to the topic, see how it fits, like, does it kind of seem like it applies well? And if it doesn't, go back, try a different definition or a different description, and it sort of rinse and repeat until you're happy with the information that you found. So are you saying it's similar for when you're choosing clubs and societies or friendship groups, that you should test out a few different things and then see which fits best? Yes. You know, I mean, you might you might come to university having fairly clear ideas on certain things. So, for example, if club nights are not your thing, that's fine. I mean, I think universities are much more diverse places these days to when we were students. And I think there will be a lot more effort being put towards kind of the less conventional drinking type activities that were very common when we were students. Sometimes it means kind of going under the radar a little bit and looking for alternatives. Mm. So can I interrupt you here, Tracy? Yes. So what clubs and things did you test out but not carry on with? So I'll give you a moment to think about that and I'll tell you a couple of mine. So I tried fencing. I tried belly dancing. Ooh. (laughs) Taekwondo I tried and I stuck with that. Yep. I did a short course on Japanese language and culture, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm I'm not sure what else, actually, but it's a a good range. It is a good range. So back when I was a student, the range of clubs and societies were not as diverse as they are now. However, we're thinking about the time of Ellie McBeal, when that was really cool. (laughs) Ellie McBeal, that's a long time ago. So I, I I didn't follow it for that long, but basically it was... Kind of about Ellie McBeal, who worked in a law firm, and her kind of imposter syndrome and stuff like that. Callista Flockhart. Callista Flockhart. Married to Harrison Ford, I believe. Oh, who was famous for being a size zero? Harrison Ford? No, Callista Flockhart. But not that that is, you know, the size we should all aspire to. It's fine <laughs> if that's what you are. There but, are you know. bigger issues in the world than yes. whether I can fit into a dress or not. Yes, then we, but we digress somewhat. So anyway, so Ellen McBeal did kickboxing and obviously kind of sparked a whole wave of people interested in kickboxing. So when I went to university, that's one of the things I tried. And it was, <laughs> it was fun until people started sparring. And I just remember the damp, sweaty, smelly helmets and Ooh. like boxing gloves that we had to put on and and one of the girls ended up with a nosebleed and that was the last session I ever went to I just decided it was not for me oh no so another top tip if you are taking up karate kickboxing anything where you need pads buy your own yeah but you know me for it you can sell them on later when you give up (laughs) yeah but sometimes you want to try something on before you invest in the kit don't you oh not the gloves though not the gloves (laughs) <laughs> no, the, the one I went to you had to buy the kits they didn't lend out the kits and that's probably the reason because it is really gross yeah okay well there you go <laughs> 
what else did I try? So I have always danced since I was about four. That's when I started ballet classes. So when I went to university, I joined the dance club, which did a bit of jazz and various other things. I have to say, so although that has kind of given me the foundation for the things I do now, I haven't stuck with any of those hobbies, you know, like jazz. I did a bit of Latin and ballroom as well, actually. And that's absolutely fine. Yeah, dabbled. Yeah. Yep, and then after I left, breakdancing and aerial arts, as we mentioned in the first episode. I actually did um, a little bit of salsa as well. Oh. You know, they do a lot of things like short 12-week courses, so you can have like a little taster. There are lots of tasters that go on in the first and second weeks of term, actually, Mm. I think. I believe lots of societies do free tasters before you have to pay for your membership. Yes, yes, I do. That could be, instead of going out to nightclubs, that could be a very interesting way of spending your time check out all the free taster sessions yeah so that those are good data in fact i might be along to a a university to do this myself (laughs) what are you going to be trying (laughs) i don't know literally everything would be great yeah i'll just say i'm a mature student yeah so so those tasters are something that would be very good to kind of work through your timetable because you probably have your timetable quite soon as well but also yeah so we were talking about socializing and the kinds of interactions that you would come across when you start university so we've had a think about you know the sorts of interactions that you kind of need to have versus the ones that would be kind of quite good to have would you say so for example when you get settled in in your accommodation you know you have to meet your hall warden or your landlord they'll give you your keys kind of tell you what the rules are I mean you know if you're in halls very often landlords like to put big a4 posters of like switch off the tap when you're done with it you know don't mm-hmm. leave it dripping close the blinds close the windows and all those sorts of things so I think you'll be no candles no candles although there are kind of battery operated ones these days So I think you'll be pretty familiar with those rules. I mean, generally, it's don't trash your accommodation. Yeah, yeah. I I have a story about that. Do you want to go into that story? (laughs) I moved into a lovely little flat in a halls residence. So there were four people downstairs, four people upstairs. And I was there, you know, for a few days. A couple of people moved out. They didn't like it. A couple of people moved in. And it turns out one of the two people, well, a couple of people who moved in had absolutely trashed the flat they'd been in before. That's oh. why they'd been moved. And we had somebody else move in a bit later on. This was somebody who ended up being my boyfriend eventually. Um, and he had gone to that flat. And I think he said, it, you know, it was awful. And the floor was sopping wet. The carpets were wrecked and oh, nasty. <laughs> and I lived with these two nutters for uh, <laughs> another two years, would you believe? They were characters. So my husband was once in a rented house where, you know, mushrooms started growing in the bathroom carpet. That's quite kind of normal yeah. student accommodation. That kind of thing can happen. But so if you are in university halls, though, I think chances mm. are they'd be far better maintained than private accommodation. Yes. And if they're not, you know, you're paying a lot of money, uh, get it sorted out. So you could talk to your student union for help. You can talk to university welfare tends to cover things like accommodation as well sometimes Mm. but don't accept it so in my master's I went to this brand new halls of residence you know it's one of these new build fancy places I had my own ensuite bathroom which at the time was you know this was a new thing a novelty and I had damp in my room 
you know, no. there was a problem. And, yeah. and a lot of the accommodation had damping, but it wasn't that bad. So I just kind of ignored it mm. as, <laughs> as a foolish person would. Well, um, yeah. But I, at the time I was doing a research master's. So I was on a project around cell biology. Okay. So, very cool. So it was growing a type of neuronal cell. And it was growing it without antibiotics, because normally if you're doing cell culture, if you use antibiotics, it helps stop them getting contaminated. But I, I couldn't do that. I had to do it on its own without. And they kept getting infected with like fungus. Oh, so and that's how you did knew. not work. Is and that how you knew how bad fungus could be for you? Well, for my experiments, certainly. <laughs> but also for your health, because you yeah, are made yeah. of cells, right? But I only realised at the very end when I just casually mentioned to my supervisor, oh, I've got this damp problem in my halls of residence. She's like, and straight away, you know, she's like, well, that explains it. What explains it? <laughs> <laughs> that explains why your project didn't work. It wasn't oh. full technique. It was, um, yeah. The conditions, the conditions, the environmental conditions. So the environmental conditions can influence how well we are able to perform. Nice. That's a I, little uh, well message done. to take away. Oh, it's true, though. It's true. Um, so I know of a student at a university where I think, again, it was damp. There, there are big issues around damp in multi-person kind of accommodation. And it caused her to get, you know, really quite bad rashes all over mm. her body. She became kind of sensitized to it. And she did luckily complain about it and get something done. Mm. Good on her. Yes. So if you see any mold, hopefully you don't in your first week <laughs> of term, my goodness. But if you see any, you know, like black spots of mold or anything in your accommodation, don't be tempted to just bleach it out because it's often a much deeper problem. You need to get your landlord or whoever manages your halls to sort it out properly and like make sure you know how they're fixing it. So anyway, if you found any of the things we've said so far useful, please be sure to tell your friends about our podcast so that we can reach more people. Let us know as well if you've got any questions or, you know, let us know what you're planning to do in Freshers Week. We'd be really interested to find out. And also, you can leave us a review if you're enjoying this podcast. And that just means that we can reach more people and help more people. And really, I'd quite like to hear from the people out there. You know, do you have any questions, any topics you want us to start looking at? Or what do you think about what we've been talking about so far? Have mm -hmm. you got any stories about Freshers Week? Yeah, we'd love to hear those stories. So you can send us direct messages on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. We are delving into the world of TikTok. We are delving into the world of TikTok. Okay, so <laughs> we've talked about hall wardens and landlords, but also most of you will probably be in some kind of shared accommodation. If not a shared room, then you'll be in a flat or a shared house. And I guess this is probably quite obvious, but you do need to interact <laughs> with the people that you share your accommodation with. Great way to make friends. It is a great way to make friends, but also, you know, it's you kind of it, you kind of need to be able to have open conversations so because you're all going to be living together for at least the next year mm. but also some of the benefits on that is you could co coordinate on housekeeping like keeping things tidy but also perhaps clubbing together to you know put an online shopping order through i mean before the days of online shopping having a flatmate with a car was super useful for mm. doing weekly shopping and getting like your tins and heavy bottles without having to carry them all the way back. 
yeah i mean you might find that everyone goes off and does their own thing over time but these are the people who are around you and will you know be very much part of your support network when life gets a little difficult which you know it will do during university at times yeah yeah so i could tell you a bit more about the characters that i first ended up with okay (laughs) go on alex so yeah one of the first people in the flat was (laughs) <laughs> this um Italian guy and he fancied himself as a bit of a ladies man so he was always making incredibly sexist comments and so he really liked the stereotype of him yeah yeah <laughs> so there was him there was a, another you know, a really nice uh, English guy you know white middle class um, uh-huh. <laughs> so he set up an industry um dealing cannabis would you believe <laughs> <laughs> Where was where was the the farm? Did he set up a farm? No, 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 no. Oh, just okay. just selling small amounts. Oh, just, oh, I see. There was another guy who was a compulsive liar. He once told me he had a very long term relationship with an African princess who sadly passed away. How did you know he was lying? He was a white working class guy from Sheffield, and he also told me that he had set up a casino online. And he was you know a bit of a millionaire. Yeah, but. <laughs> But universities sometimes get students who are like royalty. Oh, certainly, certainly. So that's not completely like over the top that he could have met a princess or had a relationship with a princess. I mean, before university, uh, maybe a little less like, I don't know. It wasn't the only fib. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, very entertaining people. And then, of course, I had some other flatmates who were, you know, absolutely wonderful, easy to relate to, really friendly people without really unusual eccentricities. Good. So <laughs> there are people like you out there. But actually, you know, I, I have fond memories of hanging around with these other people. Mm-hmm. You know, they <laughs> the compulsive liar person. He was a really nice guy. He just, you know, had lots of stories to tell. And we actually shared flats for a couple of years. Okay. So I think, you know, with the people who like compulsive lying, I mean, I don't know what his like motivations are for it or how aware he is that he does it, but as long as no one gets hurt, I think people like that can be very entertaining. Entertaining, yes. But it left me in the situation of, well, he's saying his girlfriend, this African princess, has passed away, you know, so I don't want to call him a liar at this point. It just left me feeling really uncomfortable. Very so strange. how did you respond? I would just have probably gone, oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> what I did. Yeah. <laughs> nod, and, nod and smile yes. and then move on. Okay, now I have to admit, like the next group of people, they're not someone that Alex and I particularly made the effort to build a relationship with. So it does depend on the context. And these are your neighbours. And my recollection of neighbours in my first year of uni were, you know, there were some students in the flat right next to us. We were separated with a fire door that was kept locked all the time. And I only ever really saw them when they came around to our flat to knock and tell us that we were making too much noise. And most of the time we weren't, but I worked out. I had a stereo back in the days of the stereo. I had a stereo that was kind of pushed right up to the shared wall that we had. So even when the volume was turned to a very reasonable volume. This was in the middle of the day and everything. And I wasn't really a party animal anyway. Because noise travels much quicker through solids than through air, doesn't it? They were getting the sound through really, really loudly and it was annoying them. So the only time we ever saw our neighbours in the first year. However, when I came to do postgrad and we were kind of living in private accommodation, 
and our flat was on top of our neighbor who was downstairs we did the whole you know meeting and chatting and everything but it can be quite good practice so if you're planning to invite a few friends around to your flat you know before you you go out for a night out or whatever or if you think there's going to be a bit of extra noise it can be quite a nice practice to just go around and just give your neighbors fair warning so they're prepared they can make plans to work around it and you know they're not planning like a quiet night in to hear your music thumping next door and it really annoys them they can plan to be out of the flat or to do something else and it just kind of sets things up really for an easy life <laughs> moving forward. Yeah, another top tip, perhaps don't put your bass on full volume and put your speaker against a wall. Yeah, wall. yeah well, yeah, <laughs> learn from my mistakes. But yeah, the bass is a very good tip. So another group of people that are very valuable to get to know are people on your course. So myself, I was on a joint honours psychology and neuroscience and it was a brand new course, and there were only about seven of us doing it. So we all, you know, hung around together. Very different people, but yeah, we, we stayed in that friendship group for three years. Mm. Yeah. I think it can be quite nice that you're, you know, you had a very small group of course, course mates, seven people, because I remember like, I think my seminar groups might have been bigger than seven people. And I remember feeling very intimidated to speak up. I mean... As an international student back then, I was very kind of shy about criticality anyway. So I didn't kind of share my views very often, which is very different from the person I've now become. But yeah, so I think a group of seven people is a lot less intimidating and that's really nice. Yeah, and it's really valuable because if you end up with people or, you know, you choose to uh, be friends with people who are very conscientious and studious, <laughs> that may sound very depressing at this point <laughs> but you know you can have other friends as well but it helps you be motivated around your work it helps you keep on task it means you can have a study group you can get together talk about some different ideas some different theories you've read and they can challenge you and say oh well, mm. I didn't understand it like that or yeah you know and that is really valuable in terms of both motivation and developing your thinking skills. Mm -hmm. And I guess lastly, being able to talk about your subject. Yeah. Oh, so this is also something I found on social media, but I came across a post recently of how students were kind of making notes collaboratively online during a lecture. And so on their notes, you know, like individual students could kind of put question marks or comments next to certain sections where, you know, maybe they didn't understand what was delivered in the lecture and their course mates would kind of dive in and help them out and that gave me a really nice warm fuzzy feeling because I just thought you know it's really nice with all this stuff about digital and how it you know like affects your attention span and all that that students had found ways of putting it to very good use mm, and to like support a really good idea yeah to support each other because quite often or when I was at university you get a sequence of slides get put up on the screen mm -hmm. and then you'll write them all down really quickly word for word and obviously not get everything or get what the lecturer was actually saying so we'd quite often have to kind of ask for help and share notes yeah so I guess that is something we should probably address at this point so when you're thinking about plagiarism this is something you'll come across quite a bit and that's the act of taking somebody else's work and passing it off as your own sometimes people talk about not sharing notes 
And that tends to mean, in particular, when you're writing your dissertation or, you know, um, a, a big project, and you've done a lot of independent thinking, analysis, maybe you've done some experiments, and it's those type of very personal notes that they're talking about not sharing. Mm. Whereas sharing notes based on a lecture, a lecture that's been recorded, um, yeah. is quite different. Yeah, but actually coming to lectures, I mean, if lectures are recorded, very often they're accompanied by transcripts as well, aren't they, these days? Would that be useful? I think so. So if you miss something in your note-taking, you can always revisit the transcript for clarity. So, I mean, I when I was back at university, I remember one lecturer often said to us, don't try to write down every single thing I see say just take notes of key points to revisit but just kind of let the information wash over you i remember those were his exact words and i think he did have a point because if you're trying to make notes at the same time as trying to listen you can't really do both at the same time you can't you just can't keep up can you no no it, it's a, a skill it's quite difficult so one of the approaches is to listen to what's being said and then summarize it mm. So that way you're engaging your mind, um, you're learning, you're interpreting what's being said and putting it in your own words. And that's very valuable. It also means that you can write and keep pace with the lecturer. That's right. You're kind of making the information your own, aren't you? And Mm. I mean, the beauty of all this is everyone kind of explains things in different ways. So coming back to, Alex, what you said about like not sharing notes, I mean, when it comes to something like a dissertation anyway, topics are so personal to the student that there won't really be much crossover between projects that people are doing. So I don't think there's too much risk there of like plagiarism through note sharing. But when it comes to sharing, you know, your lecture notes, doing that kind of collaborative approach via Google Docs or, you know, other tools that your university supports can be really useful and can be a really good way of everyone supporting each other. Okay, so kind of moving on, we'll go into like the interactions that you might have with people in your school. And your school administrator is a really important person. You might have several of them. Now they are your portal to any course related questions that you might have. And I mean- So who do we mean exactly? It's the people in the office, the departmental office, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think their post is usually called a school administrator. Mm. But, you know, if you go to your school or your academic department website, they're kind of called different things depending on the university. There will usually be a list of names under the school office or school administrator or something like that. So any of those names will probably be quite a good contact to ask if you've got anything that's course related, related to, you know, changing your modules, timetabling issues, questions you have about submission. So, I mean, the administrator might not be able to answer all your questions directly, but they can certainly put you in touch with a person who can help. Yes, yes. And treat them well, because they have a lot of kind of power. So (laughs) getting on the good side of them, it's, you know, it just makes your life a bit smoother. They're not going to... They can do a lot for you. (laughs) Not not in a mafia kind of way, you know, everything's (laughs) above board, but... um, Just very helpful people. Goodwill um, goes a long way. You know, if you're having a bad day, they may sit down and, you know, give you a bit of hand, direct you to something that could help you. Mm -hmm. 
The other person that hopefully you will have a good relationship with is your personal tutor. So everyone is assigned to a personal tutor and they kind of look after you on a pastoral basis as well as academically. So, you know, if you're having a really hard time with university, do see if you can have a chat with them. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Make use of this system. It's really valuable if you have any questions about the broad subject area or how to improve your essays and things like that. It might be helpful to talk to this type of person. One thing, though, Mm -hmm. this is a really good top tip, Mm -hmm. is that if it's a course with hundreds of students, sometimes supervisors or admin staff or tutors can get overwhelmed by students asking some questions yeah and quite often they'll think it's in the handbook you know why didn't they read the handbook Mm. so do a bit of research around the question beforehand if it's something you know quite simple yeah you know do have a look at the handbook talk to some a couple of people on your course and they may be able to help you solve that problem and equally when you're going to see your tutor or a supervisor in terms of asking about an essay question, perhaps, or some work like that. Do a bit of preparation beforehand so you get the most from that session. Mm. Show up with, you know, perhaps your own attempts to answer that question. How, you know, showing how you've interpreted it, what you think you might do next, basically. And that creates a much more useful conversation with this academic who has, you know, a wealth of knowledge than if you just kind of rock up and say I don't know what to do yeah yeah although you know if you feel like you've exhausted all avenues you've looked in the module handbook and you really still don't know what to do then still go and ask for help definitely you know yeah don't don't be shy to ask for help because that's more important than you know being afraid (laughs) of doing that but yeah I do I do take that point like try to find the answers yourself first if you can because you will go to them with more specific questions and they will know how to target their advice for you. Win-win situation. Win-win situation. So regarding other academics, then, I mean, you will come across, you know, your module leaders, your seminar tutors and people like that. And over time, you'll work out, you know, the ones that you gel with the most. Like you'll get on with some people more than others. And that's really natural. Yeah. And I mean, this is definitely true for me when I was at university. I had really good relationships with a number of academics and I would quite often go to them for help. On hindsight, maybe a little bit too often, but they were extremely supportive. And, you know, we just kind of had that kind of chemistry. How I about you? you did chemistry? I didn't do chemistry. I studied English. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was completely the opposite. Yeah, you did everything. I mentioned this before, I was very shy. So although we were on this small joint honours course, when we studied psychology, it was in a group of maybe 100 students. And when we did the neuroscience, it was in a group of, you know, probably 200 students. Mm. So they were very big. We did have a tutor group. So we had one tutor, he was a very cool guy, and that was with the group of us seven. So there was the opportunity to go and kind of talk to him. Yeah. Not so much the people actually giving lectures, simply because of the size of the, the mm, cohorts of students. Mm. So, you know, the, the interaction then used to be, if you had a question, you might ask a question, you know, during the lecture or after the lecture. Okay, two little anecdotes. So when I was doing my final year dissertation mm. in neuroscience, I chose the topic of cannabis. 
<laughs> as you do. <laughs> yeah, so should it be used as a medicine? What are the ethical arguments for and against? So I, I thought, yeah, this sounds like a good debate. Rolled up <laughs> my sleeves, did a bit of research and realised that the year before there'd been a big conference, a meeting of all the greatest minds on this subject area where they had debated this. Wow. And it just felt like a waste of my time to <laughs> be trying to do it again. So I did actually go and see my supervisor and say, um, actually, I don't want to do this topic for this reason. Can I change it a bit? And I changed it to the biochemistry of cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> cannabinoids sorry cannabinoids and it was incredible it was great I got to you know look at receptors in the brain their distribution there are two types of endogenous cannabinoid receptors one lot in the brain and one lot around the rest of the nervous system okay yes it, it was really interesting and you know what I actually got the second highest mark in a cohort of 287 students wow well so that was cutting edge research actually I yeah, mean you might cool. you might have to explain some of it to our audience in kind of more lay people's terms because I didn't understand a great deal of that <laughs> Anyway, it was a really good project to do. However, after having gone to see my supervisor this one time, I didn't go and see her again. But you don't necessarily <laughs> need to, right? Oh, I, I mean... should have done. I should have done. I could have had the top mark of the year. I never took um, you to be such a competitive person. <laughs> not really. But it turns out if I was to look at this dissertation now, I have used two contradictory referencing styles, oh. <laughs> Harvard and Vancouver, at different points of this. Actually, maybe what you mean is you should have seen your librarian. I should have got somebody to give me some advice. On bit how of to feedback. reference. I should have made use. Yes. So even if you're doing quite well in your subject area, that is often a way you can improve. It's always worth talking to people. So, okay, so academics are all different in how they mark. And I'm not sure like using two referencing yeah. styles would have jeopardized your mark a huge amount. I think it would have affected it a little bit. But like for example, I'm not I'm not sure would it have made like the difference of a whole grade. Again, yeah. it does depend I on I think the I'd have got ninety-five if I What did you get? Eighty-five. Really? Bearing in mind there were probably loads of typos. <laughs> <laughs> and the attention to detail wasn't there. So that means you can't get ninety-five. So one more top tip, use your spelling and grammar check. <laughs> but also, if you need help with referencing, go and see your academic librarian. They're very experienced on referencing and they can help you. However, the ultimate responsibility of checking your references and bibliography is down to you. How long do you normally spend checking referencing? I usually do it at the end, but then I'm a real stickler for proofreading anyway. So I tend not to make a lot of like grammatical and formatting errors because it always jumps out at me. Mm. It doesn't jump out. And I can't concentrate if anything is not quite right. If I come back to it, you know, uh, a few days later, usually yeah. after I've submitted it, um, yeah. then I see all the spelling mistakes and errors. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Just in time for your viva. <laughs> well, so we have gone everywhere today, haven't we? We've talked about plagiarism and referencing and, you know, approaching assignments, precious week. Anyway, but I hope 
this has been helpful. And our next episode, we'll be kind of deciding like what kind of interactions are useful in Precious Week. We're going to apply that to how would you go about approaching your reading list. Because many of you might already have your reading list, or at least you might know the key texts that are being covered in some modules. And, and quite often they're extensive lists. They are extensive like lists. Precious Fair, there's a huge number of options and stalls you could go to. Yes, and so we've already said, no, you don't have to go to every single social occasion that's out there. And similarly, you don't have to read everything on your reading list, but we'll tell you in more detail how to go about navigating it and making those decisions. Yes. So thank you for joining us today. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> you have been listening to Weird Learning with Dr. Tracy Dix and Dr. Alex Patel. Music by Defect Machine from Pixabay. Produced by Kelly Costigan.